Hello and welcome to Beyond the 18, a podcast where we break down the games, we talk tactics. I'm Patrick Duffy and I'm joined as always by my good friend Rodrigo Plaza. Rod, we're back on a Friday. This is wild. Exciting, exciting. I know. I, I was a treat. I was looking forward to it all week, honestly. I was like, oh, we got to get a gun back, do a little extra episode, Champions League is back. Exciting stuff. I, I had kind of a, a like really busy week with work stuff and was almost uh, attacked by a Zoom bomber uh, <laughs> terrorist today. So um, I heard I've about had quite that. the Friday. I heard about that. Yeah. Assault. That's how I describe what was going to happen. Assault. Uh, but I've survived. I've persevered as I always do. And we are, um, yeah, we're here, listener, to talk a little Champions League because there were quite a few games and there were quite a few big games for the group stages of the Champions League, it felt like. And, um, yeah, we're not going to do our normal rundown like we do in the Premier League where we talk through all of the games and go in more detail. Instead, we thought we would just pull out a few games we were able to watch a little bit more closely and offer you uh, some of our incredible insight and, um, <laughs> and knowledge and, yes. and takes. Uh, many, many hot takes. And I think it's a good challenge for both of us because these are leagues we tend to watch a little bit less. Yeah. You know, we're mixing in more stuff. So I think it's cool to get to see, yeah, Champions League. You know, you, you see soccer with kind of a, a, a fresher perspective when you, when you get to do that. But, um, yeah, Rodrigo, I'm going to kick it to you for our first game that we're going to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. First game wanted to to talk about uh, was uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Inter Milan. Um, playing favorites here. I see Antonio Conte's got a game. I'm definitely going to watch it. Uh, I was excited to watch the game. Um, final score of this game, uh, for those uh, who may have forgotten, is 2-2. Uh, so they draw there. Um you know, overall, uh, it was a kind of an exciting game to watch, If especially if you are a fan of, of the style of play of Inter Milan or Antonio Conte in general. They play kind of this 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, I guess it's technically more of like a 3-4-1-2 um, with Lautaro and, uh, and, and Romelu Lukaku playing those top two with um, Christian Eriksen kind of underneath, kind of a more floating role. Um, the game is exciting. I, I don't know that much about Borussia Mönchengladbach, so I, I, I didn't know exactly what to expect, but I kind of just asserted the kind of, or imposed the same ideas I would of any German team, um, that they're going to be kind of fast and quick on the counter, um, and maybe, you know, very quick buildup kind of going vertical as, as often as possible. Um, what was interesting is I felt like Inter Milan really dominated this game. They were the aggressor, I feel like, yeah. for almost almost the entire game. There were definitely some moments where things fluctuated, and as you can see, the final score ended up being 2-2. Um, but but Inter Milan just had so many chances on goal, first half and second half. Uh, they just missed wide. Um, there was this one in particular. Uh, it, it was uh, I think it was late in the the second half, the 80th minute, I believe. Lautaro uh, hits this hits the back right post. There's this cross, and he connects so well with it, um, but it just just couldn't. Just couldn't finish in the back. Anyways, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of chances here. And although the game ends 2-2, um, a couple caveats to that. You know, first, um, the first Mönchengladbach goal is a PK. It's it's a, it's a well-deserved PK. Um, player does get clipped, gets taken down. But still, a penalty kick, you know, in a way doesn't speak to me as like a game, uh, one, you know, 
earned from 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 just you know regular play. Um, and the the last goal for Munchen Gladbach is a, is kind of a spectacular goal, but it it's a little hard for me to tell how how repl- replicable it will be. Um, it's this it's actually really fun to watch. So you should see it. But it's this it's this driven ball on the ground from about like halfway like half line of their own half. So maybe 30 yards out from their own goal. They hit this ball on the ground and the there's a checking in forward that dummies it and Vidal is in the back line in that moment and kind of misreads or doesn't really expect the dummy and it ends up threading between him and the central defender and uh the outside forward, I believe uh Hoffman he sees it kind of as soon as the dummy is the dummy is on he sees it and goes and just beats beats everybody to the to the ball and not only that but dribbles it a good 10 yards gets or 15 yards gets into the box and then megs the goalkeeper uh which was which was impressive um now the two goals for Lukaku in this game um were both like a little bit less impressive than all of the opportunities they created. Like one of them was this kind of in crazy, like they sent this ball out of the left. It misses at the back post. I think Dar- da- Damien or Darmian, I remember, don't know how to pronounce this. He's able to keep it inbound somehow, brings it back to the penalty spot where there's a shot that's deflected. And then Lukaku's there and cleans it up. Right. So it was like this amazing thing. And then he's just there to clean up. And the last goal in the 90th minute for Lukaku's also off a corner, um, into the back post, and he's he's able to kind of bring it just down. Draw. Yeah, just a real. Yes, it, it it feels like he's a player who just you know he has a lot more strength than a lot of the other players out of the field. Like whenever I'm watching Lukaku, the first thing that I notice with him is like Lukaku is sweating a hundred <laughs> times more than anyone else in the field, yeah. and it will be like. Oh, it's the fifth minute of play, and that dude is just—he's <laughs> working hard. I, yeah, it, it was—it was—it was an impressive game, I thought, for Inter Milan. I didn't see a whole lot that I was impressed by necessarily by Munchen Gladbach, but obviously, you know, it doesn't take a. I mean, it reminds me of that of, of of German teams in general. You know, it only takes one or two chances. You know, well, well delivered yeah. balls or great anticipation on the run to break through a back line and you know they're scoring goals so it does end up 2-2 um but I really I feel like Inter Milan could be a very strong team I don't necessarily expect to see all Champions League performances with teams playing at their absolute peak and in fact I wouldn't want them to you want to peak a little later in the in the in the tournament but uh, I think Inter Milan is going to be a team to watch. They were super, super fluid in this game, aggressive, and were dangerous. You know, sending balls from wide, driving into the box. Lukaku's a force all by himself. Um, so I was just, I was excited to see them playing well. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully they'll continue to be strong as we move forward in the, in the tournament. Yeah, I, I think that's a good call because uh, Inter is such a experienced squad. Like, top to bottom, they just have a lot of people who have... Um, one, kind of diverse league experiences. Like you have a lot of people coming from the Premier League. You have some people coming from La Liga. And I actually think going into Champions League, that's got to be an asset where you have guys who are like, like Alexis Sanchez is here or like Christian Eriksen is here. And they're like, yo, like I've played against these these Premier League clubs. Like I have a sense of how they work. And like I have a sense of what to expect from these players coming in. And um, Inter was also missing Skriniar. Skir- no way I say that name correct. <laughs> their, their center back who's probably yeah. their, their best defender. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's really hard to say like he's there, a goal gets stopped or, you know, or doesn't, 
But I do think like there's a little more ammunition in the back for them um, coming in because they've got some other tough games in this group, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, I... I, I like that team, I think, on the level of experience. And I also really like that team for the fit for Arturo Vidal, having watched the way he was playing at Barcelona last year, where it just sort of felt like he was running around on the field and not really impacting the game in a serious way. Um, like a, a lot of work and not a lot of output. It's cool to see him on an Antonio Conte side where I think – like that sort of behavior ends up getting rewarded because he was really disrupting the buildup yeah, for I totally agree. Um, Butch and Gladbach a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I think their passing accuracy was in the 70s, and that's just that's a testament to that sort of disruption you get from a player like Vidal. Absolutely. I, I thought Vidal was a great fit. I felt like the way I would compare it is that when he was playing uh, in Barcelona – Sometimes it felt like he was a fish without his school. Like he'd be darting around and making these things happen and occasionally putting pressure, but there wasn't the school of fish with him to make that a force. And the way the interplay so fluidly, I feel like he ends up being one of the, one of the school. And he's an, you know he's particularly good at what he does. He's aggressive on defense. He uses his body very very well for not being a particularly large player. Um, and he's quick to release the ball once he has it, especially if he has you know people making runs off of him. And and that's kind of what Inter looked like the whole game, you know, like aggressively yep. swarming to the ball wherever it was, winning that ball, getting it, looking to distribute back to the other side and then going to help, you know. So it was fast paced and dynamic. And I think he will do well there. Um, at least he looked like a great fit in this first match. Lukaku just scores goals. That's kind of like the thing with Inter. I was looking at his stats before we were doing this and um yeah, his expected goals per 90, it's just like a consistent climb for him throughout his career. And I think, you know, people characterize his time as, as at Manchester United as kind of struggling and like he was struggling to kind of find his role in there. He was still knocking in goals when he was at United and he's knocking in goals even more at Inter. And yeah, we're both huge Antonio Conte fanboys and I'm a Lukaku fanboy too. So yeah. it's going to be fun to watch this team. Uh, kind of hope that they move move out of the group stage. We can yeah, just see if, if they if they can if they can just start to finish a little higher percentage of the chances they're making, they're going to blow some of these, especially some of the lower table teams, out of the water. And I'm excited to see that. Um, I think it might be time to move on to our next game. We're uh, we're we're going to talk about four games, so we're going to do two, a break, and then two. So game number two that we're going to talk about, a good one for our listener, if. We assume you're a Premier League fan, so this would make sense. Uh, Manchester United 2, Paris Saint-Germain 1. I would say this was the shock result of the week for Champions League. Um, I, Based on run of form recently with Manchester United, I did not expect United to pull out a result here. Um, But clearly they did. Um, And actually a result that I think in the balance of play – to me felt pretty fair when I was watching this game. I thought that United tactically were set up as the better side. And I thought that United actually had chances that they should have converted. Marcus Rashford missed an absolute sitter and then had another chance where he was two on one with Martial and just totally boofed the pass. So this game in my mind very much could have ended uh, being three, one, you know, penalty, can maybe talk about that in a little bit. But 
yeah, what were your first thoughts looking at, uh, yeah. at this game? Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I'm not a Manchester United fan, but I feel like I've been saying... Me either. <laughs> I feel like I've been saying maybe the same things. I've been a broken record about how I think that they should change their play. Um, I've been saying, listen, I think they need to play a lower block. I think they need to play the counter and keep space and behind the defensive line. Um, you know, I had this idea about dropping some of their, their, their kind of playmakers deeper as well. Um, possibly playing five in the back. I described putting McTominay in as a CDM so that he could help with the defense right in front, be kind of an aggressive player to help sew up those, those kind of holes that get created and that they need to send more balls in the box uh, and send bodies in. And I feel like this is the game where they did almost all of that. Um, I see no lies. I see no lies. Uh, yeah, I mean, they played. They definitely played five in the back. Uh, they were sending very direct balls. I mean, they created, like you said, I thought it was an earned victory for Manchester United, but not necessarily because the two goals they scored were from the opportunities they created. You know, that was, uh, unfortunately, maybe, you know, in some sense, the one piece that's missing from, from from the from, from you know the causal relationship that I would like to, to prove here, but so many opportunities were created out of the counter. They were created because there was a lot of space behind the PSG defense, and Rashford and Martial are very fast and do great in that space. They do great. Like they not only are quick, but they use their body well. And and I think you know it was somewhat uncharacteristic that Rashford made the mistakes that he did kind of in just to finish Um, the pass, for example, that he missed to Martial, he should have driven that ball straight into the box. I mean, even if you wanted to make the pass, you should have driven until the defender made the decision to step to him and then made the ball. But honestly, given the space he had, I think that would have been a shot by the time he reached, by the time the defender made the decision, I think that would have been a shot and there were more opportunities there. I thought McTominay also played very well. Um, he is an aggressive dude. He catches some fouls every now and then uh, for his aggression. But all, but when, but like you know, net he he's a net positive for them. Um, and being a a guy who disrupts play and makes it difficult for their team to build up. Um, and I really liked watching him play in that central role. Bruno Fernandez is playing better and better. I I don't think I saw him playing very well in the beginning, and maybe that's not really his fault. Um, but he's been playing better and better. His distribution has been really great. He created a lot of these chances with the through balls that he he had. Some shots that were very very nice, and were just forced great saves um, from from Keeler Navas. And he 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 is he was definitely a big element in this game as well, and I, I you know I have to double back I think on some of the the doubt that I had in the beginning. So well, I I think yes maybe, maybe a note maybe mm-hmm. a note on that just to like put a slide some game because I thought he was really good in this game. I think what I've noticed with him kind of since Project Restart and and he he's been on hot form. He actually like has pretty he gives away the ball a lot. And he mis- misplaces a good amount of passes. I think he's in kind of a unique situation where he's been given the keys to be like, do your thing. Like, go out there and do it. And, you know, you you lose the ball. You, you misplace some passes. You hit it too long. That's fine. We're going to give you a lot of chances here. And I think it's smart because, you know, he he's either hitting that inch-perfect ball that's setting up the goal or he's hitting it long or giving it away. And it's like... It's it's high volatility, and I, I I think it's it actually makes a lot of sense for him, and you can see him like growing into that confidence in the role over his time at United. So, I I think they're like still when I watch him sometimes in moments, it's like, you know, okay, 
this is like a moment of real brilliance that kind of papers over some smaller errors, but that can be fine. And that can function well when you have two CDMs sitting behind you and cleaning yes, up. Yes, and that's exactly what I think I think that was exactly what they needed, you know, and, I, and yeah. what they, and I think that's where like, for example, a player like McTominay is really big help because it's clear what his role will be, you know, win the ball and then essentially give, give it away so that, that they, there's going to be, you know, play can get built. You know, he's not necessarily going to be the guy doing that for you. And that's a great, for example, pairing right there. Um, shout out to another player that also played extremely well in this game. Aaron Wambasaka was, a, was on fire. Excellent animal yeah i mean i have i have some thoughts about that as well so on the one hand i think he played very very well in the individual defending when it was a 1v1 especially in the box he was able to make some kind of astoundingly strong tackles without drawing a foul or or leaving any severe vulnerability um that said one thing i think that united two things one, United should continue to play this style no matter who their opponent is. And that's the thing that I think is the problem is like they will play this way when they think they're an underdog and right. and they won't play this way when on paper they're not. But when, you know, everybody around them is watching them play, they're like, no, you're still kind of the I mean, I'm not an underdog, but this is not a this is not a, you know, a Manchester United team that comes out and dominates a team by possessing high and just owning possession all game. And I think the sooner that we start to disentangle the idea that a strong team is a team that has the ball all the time, the sooner we can we can let Manchester United play the way that I think their team is really built to play. Um, so yeah. they ought to keep doing that. But two, as great as a defensive player as Aaron Wambasaka was in this game, you can't rely on that every game. You can't have him having to make these sliding tackles against a player like Neymar and Mbappe in the 18 because that's not going to – I mean, one of those is going to get called a foul, first of all, whether he does them perfectly or not. Like we've seen the refereeing here. We've seen VAR go. Stuff's going to happen. You can't allow that. And when you're playing five in the back, you need to keep the danger out. So I think you double down on your defensive shape and investment. No one should be able to dribble into your box. If you're going to play five in the back with a couple strong defensive center, central defenders, central like holding midfielders, you got to make sure that your structure is so tight. No one can dribble in there. They can send balls in over the top. You got to fight for those, but nobody dribbles into your box, and you got to really lock that down. Um, and then after that, it's just honestly exactly what they did in this game: sending direct balls through to space to people like Martial and Rashford. And you know, if you play a team that has a really strong defense, then you want to split your speed to the wings. You want to put those two defenders, whether on paper they're in the center or not, you want them drifting into opposite sides of the field. So that when you look up to send the long ball, there's no way the defense can defend both of them. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you know, you're doubling down on Rash from the right side. I'm going to bang one left to Martial. So you, you're going to need some space created up top by drifting wider, opening up the defensive lines. But I think if they can do those things and they can continue to work on them, they're going to be really they could be really strong. It's just it's just that it's, it seems temperamental to me when they choose to play that way and when they don't. Yeah, I agree. And they have Cavani as their pickup kind of, you know, waiting to get integrated in the squad. Mm-hmm. And I think that suggests to me kind of an inevitable three at the front yep. is is coming back. And I I, I, don't, I don't know. I just I, I see United kind of they're going to leak goals if they play like that. And maybe they'll score at a higher production and they just go for the like win three two route. But I'm not 
I'm not really necessarily sold on that. Yeah, I, I can see that. I thought Tuan Sebe, Tuan Sebe, mm-hmm. um, he's the, the the right center back in this game, playing right behind Aaron Wan-Bissaka. And, um, young guy, I think he's had some injury issues in the past with United. I thought he was great. And I think if he wasn't there, that would have been Harry Maguire, or that would have been Lindelof kind of shifted over there with Maguire in the middle. And I think it it's great for United to get a good performance out of him in a big game because it puts that pressure on Harry Maguire. It puts that pressure on Lindelof to be like, yo, there's, there are people waiting to take your spot. And I think there wasn't really, I, I had, at least for myself, I had no sense that there was any pressure on the center back spot. And it's sort of like Maguire Lindelof by default um, or Eric Bailly. Um, and, and I, but I think Tuan Sebi adds in like a, a good component of pressure there. Absolutely. Also, a little 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 jab at United got to do it. <laughs> Anthony Martial had an amazing own goal in this game. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, it, it's his only shot on target all year. So I uh, I, I love to see it. It, um, it was Anthony, such a funky goal. He closes his eyes. He doesn't read the ball position at all. Well, jumps straight up in the air and then tries to correct his poor positioning by moving just his head in the direction of his own goal. This is like the physics of that don't even make sense. Like you can't correct your whole body being in the wrong place by moving your head and then moving it towards the direction you don't want the ball to go in. Like strikers finish. Strikers finish. <laughs> with the eyes closed nonetheless. I mean, I couldn't even give him credit for like watching it go in, you know? Like oh my goodness. Um yeah, no, that was uh, two things I also wanted to mention. One about PSG because we've kind of ignored them a little bit. I think that PSG's problem um, is that they also kind of kill the space. Um, Mbappe is super fast and very good with the ball. And if he beats you even for like, you know, half of a foot, he could probably burn you. But there's no reason he should be trying to burn people near half field. He, he, he needs to get rid of the ball. He should not have the ball at his feet unless he's literally in the attacking third. And the person who should have his ball at the feet, his feet all the time, if anybody, should be Neymar. Neymar should have the ball, and he should be trying to dribble people at half field. The reason why is because when he does that, he's going to draw people to him. And if, he, and if he beats one or two and is able to look up, that's the play to Mbappe. But when Mbappe gets the ball early and starts to dribble, he's he's – it's a lack it's it's a total underutilization of his resources. He should always have the ball either in space running onto it or it sh- the only other time he should be trying to dribble someone is, is literally if it's a 1v1. This is last defender, it's you and me and I'm just trying to make a little bit of space to take a shot or beat you in the space. Then yeah, but he is killing he's he's killing his own efficiency by carrying the ball as much as I saw him do in this game, especially when he has a team like Neymar who can thread a ball almost anywhere and can do that job of dribbling people and, and drawing, you know, midfielders or defenders, he, that he needs to give that up because that, I just don't see that being the effective way to use his resources. I mean, granted, it'll work every now and then, but it's just about the efficiency. Like, it's way lower efficiency when he does that. The second thing is that I saw this in, in, in United too, and this was the one thing that made me feel like, that temperamental element of how they play. You watch this game, the times when PSG was creating their opportunities most was when they would have the ball on their right side, distribute the ball back to their central defender, and then back around to the left. What did Manchester United do? They pressed to the left side, right there, the PSG's right there, left. 
they kind of swarmed it as it went back and then kind of chased it across the field. And what it did is it left that little pocket of space on the opposite side in the midfield. And they would just play a through ball to an incoming Neymar, an incoming Mbappe. And now it's them running onto the defensive line and everybody kind of trying to run back. And that's such an easy thing to to change if you just don't chase the ball. Let them distribute back to the center and just shift, shift centrally and then shift to the other side. There's no need to chase it forward as if you're going to win it in, on a fast break. You know, that is a, it was a clear example of this idea that, yes, they're playing deeper, but only because, you know, they, they've, there's like this. So someone put it on the whiteboard today. You know what I mean? It's not ingrained in how they play and they need to ingrain that better, I think, if they want to be more consistent. I, I think that's a great a great call with United in that I think there's also some some tension and pressure from fans and the way that fans have historically watched this club and, and interact with them and thinking about them and playing a defensive style doesn't doesn't compute with, you know, we're we're the biggest club in the world, like rah rah, this mentality, um, you know, thirteen Premier League titles, whatever it is. I don't I don't even want to think about <laughs> what the number actually is. But yeah. but like I, I think when when you know you see you see similar things happen at other clubs when you have to like adjust a style of play based on what the game is looking like now and based on the personnel you have. Sometimes fans don't like that. Mm. But I, I I tend to err on the side of you start getting results and you, you you're pulling out wins like this yeah. and, and top of the table. Right. No one's gonna care. Right. Literally no one's I mean, gonna think care. about how many like, balls Rashford had today. I mean, or not today, but in that game. I mean, he had like seven balls. Yeah. I feel like even if you lose that game, if I'm a fan, it's I'm still like, exciting. yeah, it's still exciting. And you end up saying, fucking Rashford, man, he needs to finish more. Not, hey, we're sitting too deep. You know, we didn't create anything today. Because that's one thing. When you sit deep and you don't create anything, yeah, it's depressing as hell. You know, it doesn't even matter if you won. You're like, fuck. <laughs> like, Arsenal. <yeah. laughs> dot, dot, dot. Um, I, yeah. But when you create opportunities like that on the counter, I feel like it's still an exciting game. And, and you ended up leaving you like you had your chances, you know, you just needed to put them away more. So, yeah, Bruno missing Agreed. his PK and getting in a second chance also is just like peak. <laughs> That's peak. 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 Oh, man. Kaylor Navas with the crazy like Dragon Ball Z hair, too. I don't know what that hair is. <laughs> yes. when, when they call goalie off the line and they do a VAR check, typically I'm like, come on, this is such bullshit. He was he was way off the line. Yeah, he, like, he was a good foot off the line. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was credit to United that that was, yeah, that's legit. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to cut it there for this game and take a real quick break. And listen, when we come back, we're going to wrap up with uh, our last two games from this week of Champions League. Welcome back. We are talking a couple more games. So I think the other su- very surprised result, this is actually the most surprising result. I misspoke when I said that. Yeah, I think that's fair. About yeah. Manchester United. I'm, I'm underselling Manchester United saying that. This game was this game was a legit upset. Shakhtar Donetsk 3, uh, Real Madrid 2. At Madrid, I should add. Not at um, the Bernabeu, but at their like training facility, little mini stadium yeah. spot. Very cute, very cute. <laughs> really, very odd watching yeah. a Real Madrid game played there. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Like it, 
Yeah. I, I think like sometimes I feel like I'm getting used to there not being fans and then something like that happens and it's so jarring to see. It's like, whoa, this is very odd. It looks like an MLS game. Um, this was uh, a, a wild game. And I think my initial reaction from seeing the result and then going back and rewatching, going into rewatching, I assumed this was kind of like a fluky game and, and Shakhtar Donetsk just kind of pulled in some some goals here and there. They got an own goal, uh, and maybe they had a couple of chances and they took those chances. Shakhtar Donetsk played really well. Like, I thought that they were, I wouldn't say that they dominated the play of the game, but they were certainly in this game all the way through and uh, converted their chances at a much better rate and I thought created some really legitimate chances at a higher rate, especially in the first half. So um, all of their goals came in the first half. And like I said, one of the goals coming off of an own goal from Varane, which I think is a little unfair to him because if he hadn't hit it, it definitely would have gotten hit by the striker who was coming in for Shakhtar. And like I think that ball was going in the net from, from him or from another player. But... Um, well-worked play from them. I think it, my my big takeaway from this game is just that Real Madrid totally, this was a look-pass game. They're really busy with La Liga, and they've got a very tough group. They have Borussia Mönchengladbach and Inter Milan in their group, and I think they're looking at those as the bigger, harder games. So uh, Zidane coming into this game, he doesn't start Benzema, he doesn't start Tony Cruz, and he doesn't start Vinicius Jr., who's played well to start the season and I, I think that kind of showed up Luka Jovic Jovic whatever his name is had a great chance he had a header chance in the first half that I think if he had converted would have really swung this game in a different way and he didn't and when that's happening I'm like okay if Benzema is up in that position like I, I have more confidence that he's going to be the player on form to do that so yeah, that was my, I think my big, my big thing when watching this game is just feeling like Madrid sort of like, whatever, this, these Shakhtar guys, like, you know, Man City beats up on them every year. We, we know the drill. Eyes on our, our next fixture. Yeah. What about you? What were you thinking? I, I, I feel similarly. I think, I think, I think that you're probably right based on the starting 11 that, you know, Zidane might have kind of uh, underestimated his opponent here and the significance that this game might play in in the group stage. But I also feel like that kind of bled into the players themselves. I, I felt like the two central defenders for Real Madrid, uh, Verani and Militao, both had pretty Terrible. lackluster performances. Um, there were some through balls where they were stepping up into space that, you know, wasn't all that important past half field while our two central defenders were on the line, you know, kind of just completely forgetting that like there's an offsides rule that only begins on your own half. Like you can't, you know, and they just left this big bubble of space that was run into and through balls were sent. Um, and then the, I think it was the third goal. You watch the replay. I mean, he's like smack dab in the middle of this Militao is in the center of the field, uh, right out, right outside the, his 18 as a as a as a guy is driving into the into the 18 1v1 with another defender he's just kind of like barely at a jog past a walk watching that happen and another forward runs past him directly into the center of the box and there's a pass played 
And even when he receives the ball, he's barely gotten to like a gallop of speed. And then it's a goal. I mean, it just, I mean, if you don't play central defender and the guys are driving into your box, I mean, they better score, honestly. And it, I was, I was so, I was shocked. Like I was shocked to see that play. Like I haven't seen that level. Like when I talk about Manchester United making mistakes, like, you know, they've made some really kind of awful, like clearance of balls. And, you know, some people didn't realize they kind of caught off card, but this guy literally walked the ball, like watched, watched this play get like, just, just happen in front of him as he walked into his own 18. And I was, yeah. I, I, I just felt like it was just, it was unsettling almost. I was like, what do they not? I, I almost wondered if there was something bigger going on behind the scenes. Like, Oh my God, it's like their unrest at, at Real Madrid. And you know, maybe there is or something that I don't know about, but I was like, is, is there, is this like a, you know, almost like someone protesting or something? It would just seem like such <laughs> a poor performance. And it almost seemed like there was this lack of engagement on a personal level. Like, I don't really care. Um, and I don't want to, you know, it's always hard to, to, you know, have assume it exactly to assume players, in 10. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, I mean, maybe, maybe he was just dead tired from something else. I don't know, but it really screamed like lack of focus at the very, at like the best and, and lack of interest at its worst. So I, I, I do think they got kind of caught off by surprise, caught by surprise. And the goal, you know, the two goals that they scored, were also just such individual efforts. Luka Modric hits a banger from like 30 yards out. That's just like top shelf, top 90, like can't. Cool. Yeah. I mean, but it was all him and Vinicius jr. Pickpockets. There's like the midfielder or central defender. I think it was the captain of, of Shakhtar pickpockets him and dribbles, dribbles in and scores. I mean, both of them just very individual effort, you know, like I got the ball. I made something happen and scored the goal myself, you know, was not, there was no assists on those plays. There was no like, you know. Yeah. And I not a lot of not a lot of game plan evident in the way that they were moving the ball forward. It felt like. Yeah, and and I, I think that I think that was just really I, I was shocked. I mean, I get the idea that it wasn't a big opponent, but the second half didn't necessarily look that much more energized than the first, and you were already down three. So. Yeah. You know, I don't know. For me, I would take that almost as a as a as a as an like a like a. Like I already like an assault on my on my on my identity. Like how am I gonna let Shakhtar go down go go down three zero to Shakhtar in the first half? Like I'd be angry at least, you know, energized through that if nothing else. Um, it it's also it's it's kind of a big result too because if Real Madrid is gonna get out of this group, you know, the, this is a group yeah. where I, I would say there are three team like looking at it from the beginning, I would have said there are three teams that are gonna compete for two spots. Yep. And now you've lost that team that we sort of wrote off in the beginning. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, now there's four teams competing for two spots. Right. And if you're Real Madrid, you're down points and everyone else on the weekend got points. So yeah. it's it's tough. Yeah. Um, and, and and honestly, the 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 draw between Munch and Gladbach and Inter doesn't help their case either. Because, yeah, exactly. because now they both come away with one point each. And if they can get a, if they could both beat Shakhtar, they're sitting both on four points, you know, and now they, all, all they need is a draw against, you know what I mean? It, it's, it takes you out of the running. It, it's pretty steep, pretty steep. I, I wouldn't like totally count them out, of course, because, you know, this is a quality side and I think this could serve as a wake up call for them moving forward. Like, you know, we want to get out of the group stage. We got to be going in with a starting 11. That's, that's going to get us results. Uh, the, I guess two other notes that I had, two other thoughts. 
Marcelo is such an interesting player to me. I really like what he offers going forward, with the ball especially. I did notice that in all three of the goals that Shakhtar had, he was involved in the build-up play, and he was getting beaten on pace in the build-up play. I'm not saying that he's responsible for those goals getting scored, but he's an aging left back, and in every single one, the player who's carrying the ball up the field to get the assist, or to get the own goal assist, I guess, is coming up against him, and and he can't keep pace with them. And I, I think, you know, he's getting older, he's losing his step, and yes, he's very creative, and yes, he offers a lot moving forward, but if you're a club at the level of Real Madrid, like, that is something, you need your left back to also defend. Like, that's pretty crucial. Um, and Shakhtar is just such a wild club to me. Um, for those of you that don't know, they're a club based in eastern Ukraine. They play at the Donbass Arena, but currently the Donbass Arena is being used to deliver aid. It's been shelled uh, in several instances, so the, the club doesn't even play there. They play all their games in Kiev, and um, so they're this, this club with a really big following. They're the best club in Ukraine, and they can't even play in their home stadium. So part of me was like, you know, these guys, they play a lot of their games with almost no fans anyway because they're playing at a stadium. Mm. None of their supporters mm. live in this city. Their rivals live in this city. They're not going to go to the game. Right. So, like, playing in these weird kind of circumstances, playing without fans, like, they don't need that to get up. These guys are just like, this is how they've been conditioned for years um, because they've been away for years. And I, I, it's like, an, as like an emotional thing, getting invested in this team, I'm like, that's really cool. It makes me want to root for them. Yep. And then their, their team owner is kind of like... Uh, I, he, he's sort of like the Roman he, he's like the Roman Abramovich of Ukraine he's he's this magnate who made a lot of money at the fall of the Cold War kind of loosely or, tied to organized crime like you know <laughs> not not exactly like the the, the, you know, the, the, model not the Robin Hood you're looking for yeah yeah so it's such an interesting and like weird club and then the added component of them having like a zillion Brazilians on their team every year it's like yeah, it's it's a wild club to watch, and them beating Real Madrid is just like that's cool. I don't know. I I enjoyed getting to see that happen, and I'm sure Barcelona supporters did too. <laughs> Shout out to Barcelona supporters. Take anything they, I think they can get right now, especially. Um, <laughs> I think we should maybe move yes. on to uh, another game involving a La Liga side that disappointed. Yes. Um, Bayern Munich four, Atletico Madrid. Zero. Yes. I, uh, thoughts on this game, Rodrigo? I think I think we might have different opinions of, of Bayern Munich uh, based on this performance, but um, I. So, um, Bayern Munich. I'll start with them. I thought that they played pretty well, honestly. Uh, like I, I, I want to. Like I, I think I already said this once, but you know, you you want to have your best game. Uh, when it matters most. And I just, I think realistically speaking, you can't ask a team to play at their highest, highest level just all, all the time. It's just not possible. You have to ebb and flow. And so I don't expect teams to be playing their absolute best at the group stage. Like, it's 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 tricky because you want to play your best at that point just so that you can make sure you go on to get into the qualifying rounds, you know, 
But at the same time, it's just not realistic. Um, and the way I saw Bayern Munich come out and play seemed extremely strong to me. They are, I think, the most complete team uh, that that I've that I see pretty much anywhere. Um, they can do all of the things that I think as fundamentally, especially when I think about this game as a coach, that I that I would want to be able to do at a given time. They can press. They can sit back, they can counter, they can possess, uh, they can switch the point of attack, they can drive into the center, they can make combination play, um, they can score out of balls in the air, they can score by dribbling into your box. You know, I really do feel like they're very complete. They play an extremely aggressive style of play, which I think could be at some points create more vulnerability than they want to bite off. But at the same time, they, I mean, you know, my opinions don't mean much when they have seemingly made the most of every risk they've taken. You know, like when they've played extremely high lines in games where I was like, that's just too high. They still haven't been made to pay the price. So, you know, if you want to make, if you want to take down a team like Bayern, uh, given how they seem to continue to be playing this year, you're going to have to make them pay for the for the aggression that they have. Um, and you're going to probably need to really focus, be very disciplined about doing that. Um, I think a lot of teams, kind of switching here to Atletico Madrid, I think a lot of people probably expected Atletico Madrid to come out with a little bit more of their, I guess, uh, classic lock down the back and, you know, find that one or two chances to score a goal. They didn't really play that way this game, um, especially in the first... 10 or so minutes and it was almost like it was a surprise to Bayern they looked like they were kind of almost in control they had a couple passes there was this one ball on the across the six to the back that Luis Suarez just didn't quite get it didn't quite stretch the the foot long in his leg long enough to catch but that would have been an easy goal if he'd been able to touch it um they looked like they might even have a chance to kind of be the aggressor Things changed, I think, fairly quickly um, once Bayern Munich started to kind of catch their catch their you know get get, get their traction underneath them, but uh, but they didn't play that way that I was expecting. Um, they all, all told, I think the biggest thing was that their attacking threat and Joao Felix didn't really come to fruition uh, much in this game. Yeah, at all. Um, he did score a goal that was called back because of uh, an offsides and an interesting offsides too. It was an offsides call because a player that was offsides was in was, was in the line of sight uh, of of Manuel Neuer, and so you know it, it blocked it. And there actually was a call like that in the Shakhtar game as well, which which was right. <laughs> which was which was a big one. But um, in both cases, it seemed pretty pretty clear um, that the that the player was definitely in the way um, and prevented what would have been. Probably an easier, an easy-ish save. Um, but yeah, Joao Felix didn't really show up in a big way in this game. Um, I, I don't know enough about them and I haven't watched them enough, Atletico Madrid that is, to, to feel like I can tell them how they should have done things differently or maybe if they should have played it in their more traditional style. But it did. they didn't seem, I mean, once, the, once, once Bayern Munich got their feet under them, it seemed like it was the kind of classic Bayern Munich game where they're imposing themselves on their opponent, doing what they want to do, and you know, playing in their aggressive style, high line. Uh, and I, I think they're really good. Yeah, Duffy, tell me what what were your thoughts? Yeah, I have a suggestion for them. Don't sell your best player to Arsenal, because <laughs> honestly, like 
that felt like what they were missing is they were missing Thomas Partey in the middle of the field. Mm. One, to give them a little bit more defensive rigidity. Like he probably would have been replacing Hector Herrera, who I think all told had an okay game. But I think Partey is a better defender than him. And honestly, I think he offers a little bit more in terms of progressive passing going forward. I feel like what Atletico Madrid really need is they need Antoine Griezmann back if they're going to play this kind of style. He's such a unique player, and he really isn't in the right spot at Barcelona. But I think, like, I just imagine him and Joao Felix playing opposite each other and like that to me feels really exciting because I think Griezmann is he doesn't he's almost positionless in the way that he plays and I think Suarez was kind of starting to try to like occupy that role but he just doesn't have the pace and stamina at this point in his career to really do that like you saw that in in the example that you mentioned like I think a younger faster player probably gets on the end of that ball that Suarez missed and like um I I so I think there's some there's some personnel issues with this team I had the same note as you, though, that I thought in the beginning of the game, Simeone was like, let's go out and try to steal the goal quick and just catch him, catch him, right. and, then we can, and then we can really lock in. And I think they got close to that. It didn't work. And then it was sort of like, we don't really, we don't really have a plan. It almost felt like that plan got derailed and they didn't have a plan B as to what they were going to do and the way that they were going to try to attack. So, um I wonder how long Simeone is going to last at Atletico. Um, with, with the type of squad that he has, and it's not being a perfect fit for him in his style, um, I think they're, my guess would be we probably see some, some rumors about him being linked with some other clubs later in the year. Mm. I think on the other side, for Bayern Munich, they, I thought they were really good. I thought those first few minutes were a little surprising. And I... I may get flack from this from people who watch a lot more Bayern than me, but I kind of thought that David Alaba looked kind of shaky at the back. And I almost like Lucas Hernandez sort of slide into that position. And then you start Alfonso Davies on the left. I just thought that Alaba, some of his decision-making and passing was, was not as clean. And I think that you, you put Hernandez in that position and maybe you see that. That being said, I think Bayern now, in 2020 have won 31 out of 33 games that they've played. So, uh, (laughs) there's, yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot you can really fault them on. Um, and four nil against Atletico Madrid, like that's a terrific result for any team. So yeah, a strong start for them. And I I would guess they're probably the odds on favorite to, to win it all this year. Yeah, I, I would, I mean, yeah, like I said, it's it's always, I think, tough for me to make those kinds of predictions early. I mean, anybody, but especially because I, I don't really even want to see a team peaking quite yet. Um, but at the same time, think about the personnel that were that were not on the field. I mean, on the one hand, Alfonso Davies is just on the bench until like the 80th minute. Um, and he was kind of an iconic element of last year's team. And they're not they're not even starting him, which I imagine is just, you know, a matter of developing depth and, you know, just, you know, having, you know, take, taking some room to experiment. Um, and at the same time, Leroy Sané also, you know, I think he, he I don't know if he's out for injury or if, if it's uh, sickness. I'm not sure. I didn't look into it, but he, he's not on the field yet either. And 
Leroy Sané as well. I mean, maybe he, I mean, obviously he's new, but people have been already, I mean, I think kind of feeling like he's, a, he's the next, next big thing. Um, yeah, a young talent there. And both of those players are young and uh, like already, or are beginning to make a huge impact on this team. And they're not even playing in this game and they still won four zero. Um, so I, they are a, just a Titan. And like, I, I just, I, I just, I say it again. Bayern to me is such a complete team. They're so complete. They have a style of play that you always, you're always having to make trade-offs. You can't do everything all at once. You can't press and sit back, you know, at the same time. But they can do all of those things. They really can. They can play quickly with the ball. They can, they can, they can take their time. I mean, it's just they're so complete. I kind of love watching them for that. Um, especially because I think they're a great, they're a good team. If you want to say, Hey, how, how does a team do this effectively? Let's watch Bayern Munich do it. You know what I mean? I, that's how I feel about watching them. So it's something I always enjoy. Um, but they are, they're not only elite, but it seems like they have some depth here as well. And that is, it's exactly what you need. If you want to try to make them a, a run on the champions league again, um, or even, I mean, everything again. I mean, the, the the Bundesliga, the Champions League, they've already won a Super Cup, although that doesn't mean a whole lot, I don't think, but they beat out, you know, Dorman the, the other day or whatever to win that. I mean, they're already... Trophies piling up. Yep, yeah. piling up, piling up. Agreed. We're going to take a really quick break, and when we come back, uh, we'll wrap up with traditional predictions. Got to do it. Okay, welcome back. We're going to do predictions like we normally do for the Premier League, but focus on next week in the Champions League. So a lot of games, a lot of games to look forward to. Uh, Rodrigo, I want to start actually with our underdog. Who are you thinking is going to be the underdog that's going to take away a result that they probably shouldn't? That's a good question. Um, it's hard when I look at this list only because there are quite a few teams that I'm unfamiliar with. Um, but uh, there's two games that catch my eye right away. First is IX Atalanta. I don't know if we consider IX a deep, a, like a deep underdog because they didn't do so well last year, and you know they're they're doing okay now. Uh, and Atalanta obviously went on a tear last year uh, that we I think all remember. Um, I want to pick IX to win that game. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the line says if that's really if that's really an underdog pick or not. But I I, I would I would pick that one. Um, another another game to watch also is I would think the Salzburg Atletico Madrid game. I don't know if Atletico Madrid are going to get their feet underneath them, and I'm pretty sure Salzburg it would be the would be the underdog in that game. So that's another one I might I might choose. But like I said, given my lack yeah, of information, you, you stole the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, I think the only uh, I, those were the two that I had pencils in, and exact same two people or exact same two teams. I think Adelante has been on a real hot run of form. I'm sure they're favored in that game. The only other one that I had circled as a maybe is Marseille, Man City. I mm. I just don't have utmost confidence in this Manchester City team, yeah. and Marseille I don't think has been great, but. Um, I think Manchester City tends to look do this, the same thing where they look beyond to the next result, to the next game. And I could see them falling into that trap here, playing against 
Marseille and, and, you know, a busy stream of fixtures, maybe some health concerns about KDB. And I don't know. I could, I could see that being a little bit of a trap game for them. Uh, what about guaranteed three points? Who do you see is absolutely winning in the weekend? Well, not to sound like a broken record, but Bayern Munich is playing locomotive, uh, and I believe that that train won't make it out. <laughs> of, uh, won't make it. Won't won't make it out of the station. Um, Bayern Munich is is hot, and they don't. The other thing is they don't ever hit the brakes, like ever, like. Ever. So that seems like a pretty a pretty solid guaranteed win. Um, I don't think I'll, I'll tip my cap there to uh, probably a blowout like 6-0. Uh, but uh, what about you, Duffy? Guaranteed dub. Yeah, I, maybe to move beyond the ones, like there are some big mismatches, I think, going in. Yes. I think Olympiacos-Porto is kind of an interesting game. Mm-hmm. Olympiacos uh, got a good result to start off. And I think... I think Olympiacos could pull out that game and claim all three points in what would be a pretty big win for them. Um, the other one is, you know, Sevilla it, playing uh, Ren from France, and Sevilla just won the Europa League. They looked really solid in the start. I they're they're just a great cup team, so I think that that's a game that they're going to win. And um, yeah, want to give a little shine to some of the smaller clubs that are out 100%. there. Hundred percent. Doing the opposite after I say that game of the week. Um, what for you? What game are you most looking forward to oh, watching? Oh yeah, there's a couple. There's a couple on here, and I won't steal any thunder. Hopefully, so I'm just going to go with one of them. But the game I'm, I think I'm really excited to watch is Manchester United versus uh, RB Leipzig. Uh, I, I just want to see if Manchester United does it again. I want to see if they they play the same style. I want to see kind of how that evolves. Um, I also feel like Leipzig might be a little bit more of a disciplined team. I don't, I don't tend to think of PSG as a disciplined team. You know, they're a talented Definitely team not. and they have a strategy, but discipline is not what I would describe them as. I think Leipzig is a disciplined team, and given that I think Manchester United is needs to lean on discipline to win their games, they might get kind of edged out there um, and and they might get kind of toppled over. But I think that's going to be an exciting game. Um, and then I'll, I'll let you pick before I before I possibly throw in my little extra curveball one that I that I'm excited about. So what do you what about you? Oh, I love that. I hope I don't see your, no, your, please. your no, curve. No, please. No, please. I've got a curve I've got a curveball too. Okay. But my I, Juventus plays Barcelona yep. on Wednesday. Yeah. That's a huge game. Yeah. Um, oh boy. I think both clubs are under new managers. They're kind of in this weird position of transition, some younger players playing. We might get to see Weston McKinney start against Barcelona, where Sergio Des is starting. Two Americans playing for Juvent in a game of Juventus versus Barcelona Champions League. Like that's crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, Ronaldo is out for this game uh, with COVID. It looks like uh, Ronaldo also like basically shaved his head. So I'm kind of stoked about that look. <laughs> He's getting closer to his idol myself. Um, but that will be a real fascinating game, just because. There, yeah, two clubs in a lot of transition and, uh, you know, huge. Juventus, Barcelona, got to watch. 100%. My curveball is the Mönchengladbach-Real Madrid game because uh, we were just talking about that. I mean, that's a game – that is a real – I mean, the way I see that game is both teams understand that there's a lot on the line, right? Real Madrid coming off of a loss. 
Mönchengladbach just getting the tie with Inter Milan. If they can, if they can sew up a win there, their position in the in the table in the group stage is looking really, really good. And although I wasn't amazingly impressed with them, they can definitely hold their own. And you can see the way that they they scored, especially that last goal. It only takes like a chance or two. And you know, we'll see how Real Madrid shows up. Um, maybe they'll have a little bit more flash and, and pizzazz to to come in with some with with some with some you know I don't know just more engaged play, but. If if they get caught on the back foot again, um, I wouldn't be that surprised, honestly. So I think that's going to be a really exciting one. Staying in that group, my curve is the other one, Shakhtar Donetsk and Milan. One, because Antonio Conte remains true Bay, um, <laughs> And two, because that group, I think, is the one that's going to be the most competitive. And like yeah. those games are really going to matter. You can watch some of the group you know the group stage matches in champions league and it's just clear the teams don't really care as much because you know it's kind of clear the way the group is shaken out this is not the case in that group and this is not the case at that point in this group so i think that could be a great game um so yeah looking forward to catching a bunch of them um and listener thank you as always for your time we will be back with premier league action on monday yeah. Rodrigo, I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and I look forward to talking to you then. Yeah, man. absolutely. You too, Duffy. Uh, great to talk Champions League. Excited that it's back. Um, we got a lot of games to watch, so hopefully everybody's buckled in. <laughs> <laughs>